Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Hold, please. Uh, uh, greetings and welcome to the 846th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, I'm not Ben. He's doing the producer thing, just checking our equipment here in the studio. And uh, those, uh, are we on? I mean, oh, no, we are, but for whatever reason. Um, the mics are not working? No, they're working. I'm talking. Well, what's the problem? Well, yeah, it's like a comedy routine here. Um, <laughs> if you'd be so kind, please switch seats with me. Well, now we can do some musical chairs here. I'm doing anything technical. Well, you know, life is hard. <laughs> All right. I'm in the captain's chair now. We'll continue here. Uh, anyway, those extraordinary questions uh, were prompted by our excellent guest today. Uh, today we bring you a, a distinguished guest on a subject dear to our own hearts, and we welcome your calls today. It's 401-766-1240. From anywhere or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or contact us by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, Co-hosting with us today via Skype uh, is another distinguished person in the field and our dear friend Kathleen Marden. Kathy, welcome back to the show. And uh, coming to us via Skype also is Dr. Sean Espion Hargens, who has spent a life developing meta-integral approaches to the fields of ecology and animal consciousness mixed methods research, integral psychology, philosophy of science, holistic education, and new post-capitalist models of measuring social impact. For the last two years, uh, he has applied everything he has learned over the last 30 years in these contexts to develop the new field of exo-studies. Sean is passionate about using integral methods to expand our understanding of the huge and mysterious universe we live in, Exo-Studies aims to produce new meta-views of what it means to live in a multi-dimensional universe, a multiverse, I should say. <laughs> Boy, a lot of uh, universal stuff going on. Yeah, so, right. uh, That's uh, quite a bit going on there. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Now it seems to be doing the things I want it to do. Okay. Do I switch seats again? Uh, please. Right, this, first, oh, this is a first for the show, i got to tell you. All right. I mean, who doesn't love starting a show with musical chairs? So, um, Dr. Sean Espion Hargens, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, thanks, Paul. It's great to be here with all three of you. Sorry, I'm Paul, such a big you. fan. That's not usual for us. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, Ben, is, uh, I, I will state Ben's question. We're going to start with a general one, and then we're going to take it off from there. Uh, so all right. Start, start us off, uh, Sean, with some background on exo-studies and how you came to realize the need for it. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always been a big picture kind of person. You know, I've, I've studied a lot of different disciplines, a lot of different fields, and I'm always looking for how to weave the, the core insights from those disciplines into new understandings of reality. And, you know, I've always had an interest in the supernatural, the paranormal, UFOs. But over the last 10 years, I increasingly had more and more of what I would call my own kind of multidimensional experiences. And, you know, these continue to kind of open me up to, you know, realities a little more mysterious than we often realize. Um, so I began to kind of revisit my younger interests in all things weird, 
you know, as a way of trying to make sense of my own experiences of interacting with non-human intelligences and just other kinds of um, parallel world experiences and, you know, different types of, you know, memory slash something else, you know. And, and because I had a background in interdisciplinary studies and integrative thinking, I began to aim that at um, all things weird. And, you know, there was a quote in Skinwalker Ranch, The Hunt for Skinwalker, in, in the book by George Knapp and Colin Kellimer. And, and I used this to open the, um, you know, the talking point paper that you guys have put on your site. And in that first quote that's, you know, at the beginning of that paper, it basically talks about how the ufologists, you know, don't like the cryptozoologists, don't like the ghost hunters, don't like, you know, um, you know, and so on and so on. Like everyone's kind of in their little kingdom and they're, they're not really wanting to play nice with each other. And when I read that quote, I just realized I had this moment of clarity, which has been one of the kind of paranormal experiences I've had. I don't know if it qualifies as precognition, but it, it is some kind of non-conceptual gnosis of some kind of just immediate insight and clarity where I just thought, oh, wow, I, I'm going to focus all of my integrative understanding to trying to unravel this knot, trying to contribute to a better understanding of our multidimensional multiverse through drawing on all kinds of disciplines, and not just the typical disciplines that are associated with ufology or cryptozoology or paranormal studies, but a lot of you know kind of more traditional or academic or philosophical traditions and disciplines so that we can really leverage everything that humans have been able to figure out about the realities that we are embedded in and really try and just understand our multidimensionality, um, all that more by, by, you know, engaging all the different disciplines that we can. And thus was born ExoStudies. Okay. Now, Kathy, you had some more specific uh, topics to kind of get us deeper into the subject. So go ahead. Yes. And uh, first I want to say welcome to the show. Thank you for your multidisciplinary approach to examine yeah. these most complex and perplexing topics. Uh, my first question is regarding ET contact. You speak of subtle realm encounters as opposed to physical encounters. What can you tell us about your exploration of this topic? And what is your opinion on those who believe they have experienced physical contact with non-humans in an alien environment? Yeah. Oh, good. We're starting right in the deep end. Um, great. Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> good to be here with you. I'm a big fan of your work and really appreciate, you know, what you've been doing over the years. It's made a um, – and there's a lot of overlap with, with your research and my interests, so it's, it's great to be here today. I absolutely believe there are physical ET and extra dimensionals. I, I also believe that people have physical encounters with them and often sometimes have physical encounters in – um, alternative physical realities. Um, and, you know, and this is where it gets very interesting because how do we make sense of that? <laughs> what, what does that mean? like? Um, and so one thing that I've appreciated about, you know, John Keel's work, um, Jacques Pillay's work, you know, in the early 70s, but even coming up to, you know, John Mack's um, work, you know, in the 90s and, and then, you know, even more recently, Jeff Kripal's work, you know, there's so many kind of UFO, non-human intelligence researchers who have pointed to what I call doubleness, that the phenomenon, whether we're talking about UFO craft or, you know, 
ETs or extra dimensionals or other types of non-human intelligences, so often the phenomenon, or what I sometimes call the exophenomenon, appears to be both objective, real and unreal, gross physical and psychical mental. And this is the elusive and alluring aspects of the phenomenon that I think our current frames of what's real don't help us much. We need different frameworks. We need different distinctions to grapple with the realness and the unrealness of the phenomenon. I mean, Charles Fort, even back in the you know early 1920s, talked about ontological indeterminacy, that stuff was always on a continuum of real and unreal. And so I believe that a lot of this phenomenon can start out in the subtle realms or subtle energetic um, embodiments and expressions, move into physical realities or start out in physical and move into, you know, more energetic, you know, subtle or causal expressions. And I think this is part of what draws me to this topic is it's so confusing you know, what are we, what's going on? Paul and Ben's work on the multiverse, because I think this starts to give us a, a much better way to navigate just how, you know, we can have an experience of a so-called ghost, which looks energetic and, you know, transparent. But on the flip side of it, this is a physical person in an alternative reality that's experiencing us as a ghost. You know, so, so I think we need to be able to flip and flop between these different points of reference to understand that this phenomenon, you know, these ETs, these UFOs, they are multidimensional in many ways. They're physical and non-physical. They're energetic. They're, you know, many things. And, and so many researchers have a great understanding of some part of that landscape that I've just mapped out, but often ignore or don't know how to grapple with other aspects. So my kind of meta-disciplinary approach, let's put it all on the table, you know, Let's, you know, be very epistemically humble, you know, recognizing that we don't know a lot. And let's just try and put the pieces together and really think in new ways and, and be loving and compassionate as we do it. And, you know, support everyone who's trying to make a, a legitimate contribution to the field. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that uh, statement about Paul and Ben's work is so true. And I was privileged to have the opportunity to work more with Paul than with Ben over the years, but it I think it has expanded my understanding mm. of what is occurring. Mm. I have a question that kind of complex to about that. Some believe that Mother Earth, Gaia, has and is aware of a collective consciousness on planet Earth that's out of balance negative than positive consciousness. They believe that Earth is a vast self-regulating organism. What would you say to those who believe that COVID-19 was Gaia's attempt to save herself from destruction created by a negative collective consciousness that has ignored her ecological warnings? Um, well, and this taps in, Kathy, into my kind of where I started, you know, in my doctorate work. I did a, a PhD on an integral approach to environmental studies and, you know, ended up writing a book with a colleague Michael Zimmerman called Integral Ecology, where we look at 200 different approaches to ecology and um, environmental thinking. So, so this question really, you know, goes right to the root of a lot of the research and, and scholarship I've done over the years. 
And I think, you know, what you've just proposed as a possibility, I think we need to take it seriously, that that, that is a possibility, that some version of what you've just stated is is likely one layer of the aspect of, of what's happening with COVID. However, here's the thing. Also in my work around climate change, I talk about a m- multiple objects and that, that a lot of phenomena such as climate change is a multiple object, meaning that there, there's no singular referent point for it, that there's, there's many layers to it. You know, you have all these different scientists, climatologists, social scientists, you know, um, looking at climate change through their methods, through their particular worldview, through their consciousness, through their techniques, and they're all enacting a different layer of climate change. And then they may often make the mistake of assuming that the, the, ver- the layer of climate change that they're tapping into is the layer, is the primary layer, is the most important layer. But for me, climate change is this multifaceted phenomenon, very similar to UFOs and ETs, and that we need to, I think we're better served to realize that it's not a singular reality, that there's many layers and dimensions, so that there is a way in which, you know, part of how we can understand COVID-19 is um, in the subtle realms, energetic dynamics with celestial beings and with Gaia as its own consciousness, giving us a warning. Um, but I think there's other layers and other ways of understanding COVID as well, and that it's better to just kind of keep it open and realize that there's a lot of different um, valid and important ways to, to think about it and to, you know, translate that into our actions. Okay, thank you. Thank you, uh, Sean, too, and Kathy. Um, I had a question here, Sean, uh, regarding uh, something in your paper that you sent. And again, this paper, as you mentioned, is uh, posted on the the BehindTheParanormal.com website on the talking points uh, for this page. Uh, The talking points pages are a place we put uh, radio unfriendly uh, graphics and things of that kind that you really, you know, so people can amplify what we're saying. But uh, you mentioned 33 types of non-human intelligences, or NHIs. Can you talk about that, and is that it so far, or is that it? (laughs) Yeah, well, in in many ways, you know, there's three parts of of focus for exo-studies. One is the recognition that human beings can develop different capacities to perceive, you know, unseen realities, right, what we might call multidimensional awareness, Right. And, and then another aspect is the focus on the variety and range of non-human intelligences. And I would add also inspired by your work, Paul and Ben, you know, what I would call multiverse humans, you know, which are, you know, something other than non-human intelligences. Um, they're human intelligences. They just don't happen to be the humans walking around with us, you know, on this planet in this moment, you know. So there's these multiverse humans as well that we can include. And then the third area of focus is what I call an integrative meta-science of, of developing a more sophisticated way of investigating these phenomenon and, and these non-human intelligences. So the paper largely focuses on non-human intelligences. And, you know, I was inspired to because of my own experiences, but also because when I read the UFO and experiencer literature and I read um, people who experience this nature spirits and elementals and I read, you know, the cryptozoological literature, people experiencing Dogman and Bigfoot and, you know, it's like 
we live in this wild cosmos, this multidimensional multiverse that just appears to be populated with all sorts of creatures and people and beings and, you know, um, different types of intelligences. And I'm always struck that, like, in the UFO literature, you often get the feeling that there's just, like, two or three kinds of aliens, you know, like, um, you know, there's often even just kind of what I call the big five. And, Kathy, you mentioned this in some of your research on, you know, what experiencers know, you know, the, there's the reptilians, the greys, tall and short. There's, you know, the Nordics, you know, there's the hybrids and so forth. So those are kind of the classic ones that show up in the abduction um, encounters. Um, and so I just was really grappling with, you know, who's here? You know, who's part of this wild cosmos? You know, like how do we understand all these different types of beings? And so I looked at, you know, 12 different sources um, that, you know, in the UFO literature I focused on, just because you have to start somewhere, right? So I looked at 12 different that I felt were doing a good job of trying to give, you know, a good overview of a, a wide range of different types of non-human intelligences. And I basically started doing kind of a meta-analysis of saying, okay, which ones are they talking about? Who's including which ones? So we could get a bigger sense of what's out there. And I came up with, and this led me to develop kind of a whole new taxonomy, um, you know, or building on work that others have done in the past to try and give us a better way of talking about this range of non-human intelligences. So the two main categories are humanoid and non-humanoid. Within the humanoid category, there's 25 different types of non-human intelligence that I identify that come out of these 12 sources. Um, and then within the non-humanoid um, category, you know, there's like eight. Um, and but even within each of those, like with grays, you know, we talk about grays, you know, Mary Wadwell points out, you know, and others have said something similar, not as high as number as her. But, you know, she says in her, she's come across the, the notion that there's over 165 different species or races or types of grays. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> saying there's a dozen, there's, you know, there's 30, you know, but the point isn't how many are there. The point is there's a lot. There's a lot more than what we really often recognize. Um, and, you know, that, you know, all grays look the same, you know, it's like, well, that's just because we haven't had a lot of contact with them. And when you really look at the good artistic renderings of different grays, you actually see there's a lot of variety. And then, you know, ones that come from different places look different in different ways. And, you know, and we just don't have a lot of good visual representations of these different um, beings, so we just kind of, you know, lump them together. So I really wanted to start to get a sense of who are the neighbors. You know, you talk, Paul, um, about, you know, the our neighbors, right, which I love, because what's nice about neighbors is it's the opposite of alien, right? Neighbor is someone who lives next door to us, who we like, who we borrow sugar from, right, who we wave to on our way to work. Like, there's a nice friendly, compassionate, heartfelt connection when we talk about our multiverse neighbors, right? Um, and I think we need to go in this direction of, of really kind of bringing down the taboo around the, the alterity and alien otherness of these non-human intelligences. And, and so for me, one step in that direction is just to get a better sense of the, the wild range of who's out there so that we can just have a, a better conversation with our neighbors, in a sense. Um, and I'm curious both for, you know, you, Kathy, and you, Paul, and Ben, you also encounter a lot of different types of non-human intelligences and multiverse humans, right? Um, so I would love to hear from each of you kind of how have you navigated this aspect of the work you do, and, and what are your current and recent thoughts about 
um, the, the variety of parasites for you, Paul and Ben, I mean, you list like six or seven different types of parasites, but you also talk about, you know, um, the noble bear, the clerics, you know, the lion people, you know, when the lion people show up in the UFO literature as well, which is interesting, um, the guardians, the emperor, the high people, right? So there's, there's these interesting labels for trying to make distinctions between all of these neighbors, good and bad neighbors. So I'd love to also hear from each of you. Well, sure. well, I, I guess Ben had something uh, first, and then we can go to Kathy. Okay. I did, but you already yeah. answered it, so never mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the psychic powers are at their par today, I guess, yeah. uh, Sean. Yes. Uh, Kathy, uh, go ahead. Well, through Freeze study and all study, uh, we discovered that there are uh, many, many different types, just as everyone else did. But... Uh, when we break those down, we discover that there are, you know, essentially gray types, but many different races of gray types. The same thing with the insectoids, yep. different races of insectoids, different races of uh, reptilians, uh, yep. different races of avians. Yep. And what we have discovered is that... Th- where the way I break this down is I attempt to look at the behavior of these different types of non-humans, uh, how experiencers are describing their interaction with them. Is the experiencer uh, equal or nearly equal on their level, or is this a uh, kind of experience where the experiencer is on a lower level, is being experimented on, is being raped, is being maltreated. Uh, so th- coming from a background in sociology and psychology, those are the things that are more important to me. But I also look for any kind of evidence that is available. And I've been able to collect photographic evidence of non-humans in cases that I have worked on uh, that I have verified as real, uh, along with uh, various types of uh, physical evidence of marks on uh, pat highly patterned marks right. complex patterned marks on people's uh, experiencers skin of uh, mm-hmm. coming from possibly different groups of non-humans then we have to look at the uh, implants the the studies that uh, dr. Roger Lear did so I, I look uh, also at whether or not these entities, are, seem to be metaphysical where they can be in both in the physical realm and the non-physical realm uh, also at the kind of paranormal activity that is most common among experiencers which are orbs and the sense that something unseen is walking on the bed. Those are the two most common, most prevalent, about 60% of the 516 experiencers who took part in our study have uh, experienced those two things as well. So um, I take kind of a multidisciplinary approach uh, to understanding all of this through, uh, you know, psychosocial understanding, uh, and through uh, investigation and through experimentation, too. I'm an experimenter. Yeah, well, let me just follow up quickly, um, Kathy, and then we can hear from Paul and, and Ben. I'm curious, given your deep research and work in the abduction space, 
What's your sense of, because I'm always struck that in the abduction literature, you often get these five classic types that seem to be involved with abductions. And yes, there is variety within greys and reptilians and Nordics within those categories. But I also find it interesting that there's a whole lot of other types of ETs and extra dimensionals than those five that don't seem to be involved with the abduction program. So I'm curious if you have a sense of why is it the abduction programs seem to have a certain smaller subset of ET types and extra dimensional types than what we find in the larger kind of ex experiential literature, like with the free research, for instance, you know, they identified 10 main categories, plus they had a category called other that had like over 100 different descriptions of beings that didn't fit into those other nine categories, right? So there seems to be a wider variety of ETs and EDs than what we find in the abduction activity. So I was just curious if that matches your sense of it um, and or how do you make sense of that? What do you think of that dynamic? Well, when I think of the abduction categories, I'm thinking of uh, scientists, yeah. of non-humans who are behaving like scientists, who take experiencers to craft, who are studying humans in various ways. It's not just, as many people think, to... Uh, work on a hybrid program to take uh, genetic material from humans. There's an educational program that goes on. Humans are taken uh, to meet other varieties of non-humans, but basically within the, those five different groups, and there are many uh, different subtypes within those groups as well. Uh, with the others, those who simply materialize uh and to, I, you know, I, let me explain. I believe that the five different groups are either capable of uh, lowering their vibration or raising their vibration in oh. order to be physical or non-physical. But uh, some appear uh, maybe not able to do this in other groups, and they uh, behave differently. They don't behave like scientists. They might taunt people. Uh, they might do very nice things to people who are in crisis to help these people through various situations. Yeah, great. Thank you. All right, well, yeah, and maybe as a position to you, Paul and Ben, I mean, one interesting thing is that, you know, Bigfoot slash Sasquatch shows up in a lot of UFO encounters, not necessarily in abduction encounters, but, you know, um, Bigfoot's all over the place. <laughs> and, mm. and, you know, Nice transition into a larger kind of conversation around cryptozoology and, and the work that you and um, Ben do. So I'm interested in your experience of different types of non-human intelligences. And I'd love to hear you mention a little bit about your experience of multiverse humans and just the range of humans that seem to be showing up in these paranormal experiences that are somehow other than our physical earthbound humans like the three of us. Sure. Well, we'll begin uh, by ex experiencing mutually the middle of the show break. Okay. So uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host Kathy Martin and our great guest Sean S. Bjorn Hargens. And you're, we're on 1240 AM and uh, 995 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, 
the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofni.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ON Radio. And we are dealing today with some very interesting subjects with our, our special guest co-host, Kathleen Martin, and our wonderful guest, Dr. Sean Espion Hargens. And we're going to continue with, I guess, Sean interviewing me uh, on the... Uh, really turn the table <laughs> on the question you, huh? of experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, my uh, my experience is uh, just that, very experiential. Now, it's interesting that Kathy mentioned her sociology and, and psych background uh, as as a, a, a sort of a springboard for her research. Mine, uh, my background was in uh, theology and philosophy, and uh, as well as uh, being a, a student for the priesthood, you know, trying to develop a spirituality that really started in high school and uh, moved on from there. So the things I experienced were sort of in that context. Now, that doesn't mean I was seeing angels and demons everywhere, although people I was working with were, uh, such as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, everything was a, you know, a demon, or not everything, but a lot of things. And we were standing in that Bridgeport house uh, in 1974, and I've often talked about this on the show. And uh, they weren't there, and this, these things came out of the, the other end of the house. One stood in front of me, and I, it was, it was sem- semi-transparent. It was more like a fog. But the presence... <laughs> Was, was overwhelming. It was a sledgehammer kind of presence, and it was utterly alien. Now, the labels we put on things, I think, depend on our backgrounds, on, on our own points of view, and I don't think uh, they're, they're good enough in many cases. So this was supposed to be a demon. All right, We were all there in the context of, uh, of expecting an exorcism and all this sort of business. And to me, this was an alien in a broad sense, totally other sort of being. Uh, Utterly non-human presence, utterly uncaring about what we were doing, and it uh, was after the girl, and I had a physical uh, confrontation with it. It was, it was we were actually pushing back and forth. That that was the scariest thing that happens to me in the paranormal. That that's the smashing of the belief system uh, that this was supposed to be a spirit, and it, obviously it was it had a physical component. So. Uh, and then there were the issues, as Sean brought up, about the, the, what we came to call parasites. Because by the end of the 1970s, it was like these things were supposed to be demons, but, but they, were, they were feeding upon people. Uh, they didn't seem to have the same theology we had, not by a long shot, nor did they seem to care. They seemed to be living things that were just trying to eat, for lack of a better term. And uh, since then, uh, we've come up with sort of nine different species of these, from the, the, the top shelf being the wise, wise in the sense of their own business, not ours, all the way down to the brats, these two-dimensional thinkers that I think people often confuse with, uh, with human, discarnate humans, as they call it, sort of a contradiction in terms, in my opinion. But uh, there were these these nine different species. And one of the commonalities, probably the the most fascinating commonality that I have found uh, with these parasites uh, is is that the longer they spend attached to a human host or even uh, in our world or in parallel worlds, and we've seen them working in several parallel worlds at the same time in order to forage, uh, the longer they're they're attached to us, uh, the more they tend to forget their own origins, even the even the, the the top shelf ones. I find this completely fascinating. Uh, in the um, 
Robertson County, Tennessee, uh, on 1817 to 1821, was the famous Bell Witch case. Uh, perhaps a misnomer, but nevertheless, it was involving uh, what seemed to be four to six parasites. And I, I was a, a sort of an unofficial consultant on the film American Haunting, and I was given access to some documents, and we were going to make a feature out to go with it, but the budget ran out. Uh, but nevertheless, they, the documents indicated to me that we had a household uh, that, where you had the child sex abuse taking place with John Bell and the, the daughter, who was the target of the parasites. And then the parasites themselves... Attracting a lot of attention around the county, people would go to the Bell home and attempt to, uh, th- and would listen to it tell hilarious jokes. They couldn't see anything, but they hear this voice. It would repeat word for word every sermon in every church at Robertson County every Sunday. You know, hmm. must have been a long Sunday, but I mean, it, it was it was just people would, it, it, and the more recognition it got, the stronger it got. But the funny thing was, people would ask it, you know, what are you? Where do you come from? And it didn't seem to remember it or they. Uh, there was some indication that it would say it was connected with uh, the uh, the Native American population that had been in the area for centuries. Now, well, who were the natives in that area? They were the mound builders generally, or the also the Adena culture, uh, who supposedly uh, practiced human sacrifice. Now, what would attract parasites more than that? So, mm-hmm. the, the, the parasitical experiences that I've had. Uh, led to sort of those sorts of, of connections and, and perhaps semi-conclusions. But um, it's entirely experiential. Uh, I don't have the physics background, certainly, that Sean has or, 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 or the, the psychological background or, or uh, anything else among the great talents of Kathy Martin. Or, uh, but it's, it's experiential. And um, what I report in my books is just are things that have happened to me. You know, whether I'm interpreting them correctly, I don't know. So Ben, I was ready to turn over to Ben here, but he's uh, Ben. I don't know if you. Um, I know you're very uncomfortable. What? Okay, uh, Kathy, uh, we're having a few problems here. I'm going to give it back to you. Okay. It's a good thing you're co-hosting. We'd be in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, so go ahead and uh, d- d- discuss with Sean or ask further questions. What are your uh, Results and conclusions on all of this so far, Sean? (laughs) Well, I mean, one is just the sense of of just kind of feeling humbled, humbled by the mystery of what we're part of. Um, You know, I I think one practice I have is a paradoxical practice of take it seriously and hold it lightly. So one outcome is to take a lot of these things very serious. You know, take experiencer report serious. Take, um, you know, encounter, ex- you know, you know, and the evidence. Like, take it, you know, when it's justified, take it very seriously, and hold it very lightly. Um, you know, there, there's so much we're still learning. There's so many different ways to understand this phenomenon. So that's one piece. Um, I think the other is that we we live in a multi-dimensional multiverse that's populated by a lot of different types of of beings. Right, that I think that's maybe the big conclusion. Not that that even says much. I mean, you know, like, I've arrived at that conclusion. Um, you know, but you know, that's that's kind of a starting point. And I think another thing is, and why I do the meta-disciplinary approach is that all these different fields and and people who represent different perspectives and methodologies, I think they all have something to contribute to our greater understanding of this. Um, you know, I find it like interesting. For instance, 
you know, like if you look at like Stephen Greer's take on they're only being good ETs and David Jacobs take that, well, it seems like they're mostly bad. You know, it's like, how can that be? You know, how can it be that a research in the field could come to that conclusion? Well, if you look at their method, you look at their consciousness, their values, their worldview, like you can start to appreciate how they've arrived at that set of experiences. And it's almost like, and this is why I talk about enactment, which is kind of this co-creative process. They're, they're engaged in a larger dynamic of enacting their experience of that particular subset of ETs. Um, and so, so Greer ends up having a certain set of experiences that are very persuasive because they're first-person experiences. Jacobs, David Jacobs has a different set, you know, sitting with, you know, um, uh, abductees that he's working with and through hypnotic regression and so forth. And then that becomes a very powerful set of, of first-person experiences of him interacting with them about their experiences. Um, and so we tend to become very convinced of, of what we're seeing and experiencing, um, which is understandable. But so I'm always trying to zoom out and say, okay, how, how is it we live in a world where Greer's right and Jacob's is right? You know, like what world do we need to be in and acknowledge such that both of those perspectives have something really true to offer us, but neither is a complete view of the totality, right? And so this is a big takeaway for me. It's like, how do we zoom out enough to be able to fit the pieces together, um, honor the good work that so many people have done, but not fall into the kind of politicking and territorialness that so often comes with any domain of, of inquiry, be it ufology or, or psychology or politics. Um, so those are a few things that stand out in response to your good question. Thank you. Kathy, you know, so often uh, we, we've done some shifting here, and we can probably get through the rest of the show before we uh, uh, have any uh, without having any further difficulties. We have a question uh, yeah. from our very faithful listener in Bogota, Colombia, Peter. Ben, if mm. you're so kind, and I will do my best to be kind. Uh, so Peter writes to us, can you please ask Dr. Sean uh, to share any personal UFO experiences uh, that he has had or investigated? Mm. Well, I haven't had a sighting of a craft, um, you know, so I haven't had the classical experience in that sense. Um, I've had experiences of experiencing myself as different um, ETs or extra dimensionals, you know, so it didn't feel like a past life experience. It felt more like a parallel life experience. And so, so this was very shocking and disconcerting <laughs> on some level. And, and this is, comes back to the point I was just making to Kathy that I take that ser that experience very serious. Like I, I'm very open to what I experience as being an indication that I'm a multidimensional being and that maybe one version of myself is Sean in this physical body having this conversation with all of you right now, and maybe there's other parts of me in other dimensions having other kinds of experiences that are in other kinds of bodies. Um, I've read enough to know that those possibilities are experienced by other people, and so I take it very seriously that this experience I had of being um, in an extraterrestrial body, maybe there's something to that. Maybe that's true in some sense. Um, at the same time, I hold it very lightly, you know, like I have no idea. It could just be a trick of my own process. It could be wish fulfillment, could be any number of things, you know. So, um, and, and so this is the paradox. This is the doubleness that I talked about with the phenomenon in general, that it's both real and unreal. Like I am also somewhere else in a parallel world, um, a different being, which might have a different morphology. And I'm not that. I'm just me here now, right? 
so so that's one experience. I also had an experience of being in three places at once, um, and the two other places were not in this earth dimension um, and interacting with other non-human um, intelligences. So a lot of my exo experiences have been more in the meditative, um, you know, kind of mode. They haven't, most of them have not been what we would call altered states in the traditional sense of that. They, they've been more just waking experiences that have just kind of washed over me. Um, and so, so those are a few examples of, of some of my um, personal experiences with some of this. Okay, well, thank you, Sean. Uh, we also have uh, questions from Peter for Kathy. Okay, uh, Ben. Okay. Sure thing. Um, so Peter writes to us, Kathy, uh, might it be possible uh, to hypothetically program an abductee uh, with their consent to ask their abductors specific questions? Has this been tried? If so, what has happened? Actually, it has been tried. I was concerned that experiencers so often view themselves as victims and that these non-human entities gain control of their minds and that uh, whatever happens is uh, done through, uh, through victimization. And I wanted to try to hypnotically work with experiencers where uh, they would uh, have a keyword where they would learn self-hypnosis. And this would come through kind of programming where this would be attempted over and over again. And so when they were awake and they did see these non-human entities coming into their environment, instead of uh, having a fight or flight response, they would hypnotize themselves through the use of this key word. And by doing this, they would lose that response and be able to interact with these non-humans on a more equal level. And it has worked for some people, not for everybody who's tried it, but it has worked for some, where they have been able to ask questions telepathically and to receive answers. I have spoken a little bit about this in my latest book, Extraterrestrial Contact. Okay. And, uh, well, there's a second question for Kathy. Uh, from Peter. Do alien abductions occur with men and women who are infertile? biologically unable to produce babies? If so, why? Yes, well, I think that the focus historically has been, again, on victimization, that humans are taken only for the purpose of the extraction of genetic material, sperm, ova, for a hybridization program. But when you really look into this, you realize that there are many scientific uh, interests taking place on this craft. Not only that, but also the idea that many experiencers uh, have volunteered. They were non-human entities who volunteered to uh, enter a human soul or a human consciousness in order to attempt to raise human consciousness. A lot of those ideas came from 
uh, the late, great Dolores Cannon. And I have worked with many experiencers who do believe that they were non-human entities who volunteered for this program. So there are many things going on, not just the extraction of sperm and ova. Okay. Now, uh, this is a question, really, well, we'll start with Sean, uh, but what is the place of groups like FREE, uh, which is an acronym for the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters, of which Kathy is an important part, and CCRI, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, with which Sean, Ben, and I are involved. Uh, Sean, what, uh, and I I asked the, the question in context of something that came up last week with a guest, with a a guest we've been uh, talking to prior to booking, uh, Nigel Watson in in the UK, who said that in Europe, uh, in general, in the UK in particular, uh, people are still sort of, aren't to the point of having foundations and institutes uh, to study uh, things that are sort of, uh, shall we say, a progressive approach to the paranormal as opposed to a more traditional approach to the paranormal, whereas in North America we seem to be a step ahead of that. What place do groups like these have in the future of paranormal research uh, in general, do you think? I'm very inspired by FREE and CCRI, and and I agree. I think more of this kind of activity is happening. There's other groups um, alongside them. You know, what I love about the research that FREE did is it was was global. Um, It was a really good sample of a lot of self-identified experiencers, and it really helped us challenge a lot of the kind of sacred cows of the abduction research and world, and it helped us expand our understanding of the types of non-human intelligences and their, what, why they're doing what they're doing. And, and it started actually to point to the paranormal and how so many of these experiences involve a variety of paranormal experiences and, and dimensions. And so it's helping us connect the dots between people who have OBEs, out-of-body experiences, or NDEs, near-death experiences, or people who do shamanic journeying, or people who take psychedelics. Like, the contact modality emphasis of the free research and the CCRI is helping us see that there's a variety of methodologies that humans across the planet have used for ages, um, and some of them are more contemporary, but that they put us into contact with the multiverse and the the denizens, the, the good neighbors and the bad neighbors that are part of that multiverse. So I think this research is helping us get a better sense of how to connect the dots because up to this point, and this is why I'm inspired by the metadisciplinary approach, you have these silos of research and activity and insight. There's very few folks who are trying to connect the dots between, you know, UFO research and cryptids and out-of-body experiences and, you know, that's happening more and more. So I think this is part of the progressive nature of what we're seeing is more initiatives that are bringing, you know, qualitative and quantitative research methodologies to better understand the the terrain that we're navigating and connecting the dots between, you know, the experiences that people are having that are quite varied but seem to share kind of what I would call a paranormal ontology. Like there's something similar going on in a lot of these situations and we don't yet have our finger on it. We can point to quantum physics as as a starting point for trying to make sense of spooky action at a distance. But we need to do a lot more of this kind of research to to better understand um, our wild cosmos. Okay, uh, okay. Kathy, your thoughts on um, on the value of these groups? Uh, I think it's extremely important to have of uh, this entire phenomenon looked at 
from various disciplines. And uh, what Free has done is incredible because it did uh, invite self-identified experiencers from around the world uh, to uh, give their input to Free's questions, but also uh, a variety of modalities, which is extremely important, so that you can look at the different modalities to compare, to contrast what has occurred. Are they all the same? Are they different? Uh, a lot of people did not know the answers to those questions before Free's research began. And I was very pleased to work with Free on that. And uh, uh, Ray Hernandez, who is a close friend, uh, was aware of my second study. Uh, I had one before Freeze and uh, wanted to do another through the Mutual UFO Network too on the experiencer research arm, which is different from the investigative arm of MUFON. Uh, and we looked at many of the things that Free looked at as well, um, pretty much in their phase one of their study. And what we discovered is that our research of 516 individuals from around the world too, uh, but all English speaking, uh, had responses that were very, very much similar to freeze experiencers' responses. And we also looked at the academic studies that have been done, such as the Omega studies. And we found that our research was consistent uh, with theirs. So I think that all of this is extremely important. We need to take a multidisciplinary uh, approach to this type of study. Okay, Let me just add more, one more piece, Paul. One thing that I feel is happening as a result of the work that Kathy is doing and, and, and Ray is doing and, and, and other folks is it's bringing the taboo down. It's helping us to, to talk about this. And one thing that I've been struck with is the more I've come out and shared some of my EXO experiences or talked with people, I've discovered so many of my friends and colleagues who have had their own powerful EXO experiences who have never said anything to me in our 20 years of friendship, even though we've talked about everything under the sun. And so... And, and in talking with Ray, this often comes up where he also keeps encountering more and more people who have these experiences but don't talk about them. So I think part of what's happening with the research that Free's doing and Kathy with MUFON and so forth is, is it's creating it, it's making it more possible for more people to share their paranormal and extraterrestrial experiences. And I think that's so crucial for us to be able to start to lovingly support each other in those experiences and making sense of those experiences and then also starting to sort through the phenomenon and, and understand what does it really mean about reality. Uh, certainly, we are always writing into people who are saying the same. So, Sean, in our last minute or two here, tell us again about your website or tell us your, about your website and uh, where else people can find out more about you. Yeah, and where right. they can read your writings. Yeah, so... The two main places on the web, one is a site that I just launched with my colleague Tom Curran called whatsupwithufos.com. So that's all one word, whatsupwithufos.com. And Tom and I have curated 150 articles and videos from around the web and organized them into four main categories to help 
answer this question, to give people the information to, to answer the question for themselves, what's up with UFOs? So that's a good place um, to go for, for a good kind of meta overview of, of UFOs in a mainstream context. My main site is exostudies.org. And, and so you can go there, and I have writings posted there in the update section. And there's two courses that I'm doing. One's coming up in just a week, which is a, a six-week course. It's only $49, so it's very cheap um, to be accessible. And it's working through all the content on the What's Up With UFO site. The other course is a year-long course that starts in September, and I call it the Red Pill Rabbit Hole course because we, we dive into 42 ultra high strange topics related to UFOs and exo studies. And I basically present um, each week a lecture that kind of summarizes key insights from three to four books. So we work through 150 books during the course of the year um, as an effort to try and draw on as many insights from so many different disciplines as possible in order to understand our wild cosmos. So those, those courses would be great opportunities for people to um, either get a little taste or do a deep dive. Um, so again, that's what's up with UFOs.org and exostudies.org. Very good. Sean, thank you for a tremendous conversation. Uh, we're always in touch off the air and, uh, we'll do this again. Great. Thanks okay, everyone. So let's get to our announcements, everybody. Uh, uh, every effort is being made to preserve the Exeter UFO Festival for Labor Day weekend this year that Ben and Kathy and I are all involved in that. And uh, we are not sure whether it will be held in its usual venue. Discussions are ongoing. Uh, and so uh, just uh, stay tuned for information on that. It's a wonderful event sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis to raise funds for local children's charities. Uh, so, Kathy, at this point, uh, tell us um, about uh, your own website where people can find out more about you and your books. You can go to my website at Kathleen with a K dash Marden M A R D E N dot com. My autographed copies of my five books are available on my website and as well as articles that you can read at no cost whatsoever. I have a blog on there that I change from time to time. And I am working on uh, a new book, my sixth book right now so I'm hoping to have that finished within two years I mm-hmm. I do a great deal of research when I write uh, I don't know if I'm going to be speaking at any conferences this year or not uh, they are continuously canceled due to COVID-19 we just have to see what happens but you will find the conferences that I'm uh, supposed to speak at plus a cruise uh, leaving uh, from Florida next March. That is, sounds very exciting. Okay, we're going to jump right to our promo for next week because we're out of time. Ben? Uh, yes, so next week, uh, June 7th, we'll be bringing you an open line show with guest co-host Shane Searway to tackle as many listener questions as we possibly can on all kinds of paranormal topics. All right, Kathy, I'm afraid we don't have time for the quote we asked you to get, but... Uh, <laughs> Perhaps you could uh, just begin to say our goodbyes. Well, goodbye. It was great to be on the show again, and thanks for listening. Okay, I'm Paul Eno. And I am Ben Eno, and thank you for joining us on this week's Paranormal Adventure, and we will catch you next time on our great cosmic journey behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.